Hey friends, this is Linda, and thanks for tuning in to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we study a Bible passage together to not only understand its meaning, but take away from it some things God's Word calls us to do. In today's episode, Your Servant is Listening, we're looking at 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 3 about Hannah's prayer for and dedication of Samuel and what the story tells us about serving God. Let's get started. So recently, my husband and I had the privilege of watching Hamilton at the Pantages Theater in Hollywood for the third time. Yes, we kind of love it. And while I was already familiar with the musical and the soundtrack, each viewing is pretty unique unto itself. This time, one of the things that stuck out to me is a song where bitter rivals Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr are writing letters to each other, talking about how each has wronged the other. I mean, at one point, Hamilton sings, here's an itemized list of 30 years of grievances. But they each sign their very angry letters with the greeting, I have the honor to be your obedient servant which is such a bizarre shift in tone. I mean, I learned that this was a common way to sign off on a letter back then, but even so, to say, I have the honor to be your obedient servant to someone you despise so thoroughly seems illogical at best. Now, I'm not getting into this just to poke fun at history, but it reminds me of the fact that This expression, your servant, has been used a lot historically and even in the Bible. And we likewise today have the tendency to throw the word servant around very loosely, especially when it comes to serving God and others. So today's Bible story will hopefully remind all of us what it means to serve and why we should want to serve God and God's people and how. 1 Samuel chapter 1 opens up by describing a man named Elkanah and his impressive ancestral pedigree, but this story is not about him at all. It's about one of his two wives named Hannah. The Bible tells us Elkanah loved Hannah more than his other wife, Penina, and even though Hannah was beloved by her husband, The fact of the matter was that she could not have any children, and she was deeply grieved by this. You know, this is still a source of great distress for many couples even today, but the impact of this was much heavier back in biblical times. At this point in history, Hannah, as a woman, had no real rights, and her livelihood depended quite literally on men, either a husband or a son. But it's not just about personal survival. Bearing a son was a status symbol of sorts for women because that was how the family name would be passed on. This was the reason why polygamy was an acceptable practice back then because it was imperative that men find someone who could provide them with an heir. Now, we even find that Hannah was ridiculed by her co-wife, Penina, for the fact that she was barren. Now, it, it is a very cruel thing to do for sure, but imagine being Penina, 
who was so blatantly loved less by her husband, even though she was the one who had done her duty, quote unquote, in the eyes of society. Now, Elkanah tries to comfort Hannah in verse 8 by saying, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Well, no, Elkanah, you're not. I mean, it sounds like a very romantic sentiment, but one son would bolster Hannah's status and spirits tremendously, let alone ten. So by way of comfort, this was not super helpful to Hannah. Perhaps if he had said, Hannah, don't you know you mean more to me than ten sons, maybe it would be a little different. Not to say that Elkanah didn't love Hannah, but he didn't know how to console her. No one did. So she did the only thing she could. She took her bitterness and anguish to God. Verse 11 tells us she so desperately wanted a child that she prayed that if God would grant her a son, she would give him up in service to the Lord. Now, as modern readers of scripture, we might wonder, why would you ask for a son if you intend to give him up? But we have to understand Hannah's entire identity and societal standing was dependent on childbearing. She would feel as though she had been rejected by God and therefore useless to God otherwise. Not that this was true, but to Hannah, this was the reality. So while she prays in the house of God, Eli the priest notices that Hannah seemed to be saying something because her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out. And he mistakes her lament for drunkenness and scolds her. But she replies in verses 15 and 16, Not so, my lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And upon hearing this, Eli tells her in the following verse, Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Now notice that she does address herself as your servant to Eli because positionally she definitely was lower on the hierarchy. But also it's a sign of humility and submission to Eli and therefore God. She is conveying her willingness to fully comply with whatever the Lord asked of her. And she does. Soon afterward, she does conceive, and she gives birth to a son who she names Samuel, which means God has heard. And not long after that, she keeps her vow and dedicates Samuel in service of God. And he goes to live in the house of God and becomes Eli's ward and apprentice. Now, one night, Young Samuel was lying down in the same room as the Ark of God, which was the most sacred relic, and he heard a voice call to him. Now Samuel, thinking it had to be Eli, runs to him, but Eli denies having called him. 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 7 tells us that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So 
there was no way Samuel would know that it was God calling to him. The text presumes Eli should have known right away, but it takes three occurrences of Samuel barging into the room in the middle of the night for Eli to figure out what's going on. 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1 tells us that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now, this is important to note because this book is starting to tell the story of how Israel's kings came into existence. And they were coming off the time of the judges where Israel would go into these cycles of disobedience and they did what was right only in their own eyes. So it makes sense that God's voice was obscured during these times. But isn't it peculiar that Eli, the priest, God's own servant, was not hearing from God either? Now, if we examine other places in the first three chapters of 1 Samuel, we find that Eli, though he might have been doing his job, didn't manage to teach his sons who were also supposed to be serving in the temple. Now, back then, the priestly line was a hereditary thing, so Eli would have passed his duties on to his sons. But the Bible tells us that his sons were irreverent priests who took advantage of the patrons who came to worship. And though Eli tried to reason with them, his sons didn't listen. And though they didn't know it yet, this failure would result in the priestly line of Eli ending here. So after the third time Samuel hears his voice and Samuel runs in thinking it was Eli who had called him, Eli finally understands that it must be God calling him. And Eli probably suspected why. Chapter 3, verse 9, Eli tells Samuel to go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God tells Samuel that because the house of Eli had blasphemed God and they were derelict in their literally God-given duties, God would relieve them. Then Samuel became God's chosen and the great prophet who would anoint the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. From Hannah devoting herself and her unborn child in service of God, God honored her choice and established Samuel as one of the most notable servants of God in the Bible. Now, we usually use the phrase servant of God for anyone who's called into ministry, such as pastors, but all of us are servants of God. We have a very rich and complex identity in Christ, for we are also children and friends of God. So what does this story call us to do, especially with respect to serving? Well, the first thing a servant must be is humble. A humble servant does sound redundant, but it is entirely possible for a servant to be prideful and self-absorbed. So someone who is humble thinks less of themselves and thinks more so about the needs of others. And we talked about this a little bit in the previous episode about how Jesus wanted the people to be less preoccupied with their own status and well-being and look around at how they can be of help to the widow and orphan in their community. But before we move to action, 
we must first have the right attitude and empathy. Notice how deeply distressed Hannah was, yet no one could offer her any consolation. Her husband tried to cheer her up by giving her more meat from the ritual sacrifice. Her, the other wife mocked Hannah. The priest thought Hannah was drunk or crazy or both. To serve God and others humbly means to take ourselves out of the equation. Which means a lot of times we have to check our privilege and not judge others for their lack of what we have or what we know. Instead of trying to dictate how people should be feeling or reacting, we need to meet them in their pain and sorrow and find how we can be of service to them. Think of Job and his three friends and how their greatest consolation was when they silently sat and mourned with him for seven whole days. Secondly, a servant must have complete confidence in what the master says. A truly obedient servant doesn't second guess or question their orders. When Eli tells Samuel to essentially tell the heir, speak Lord for your servant is listening, Samuel does so immediately. When Samuel reports to Eli that God intended on discontinuing Eli's son's priesthood, Eli accepts God's decision. And Hannah, who previously couldn't get herself to eat anything at all, is immediately consoled and starts eating again just at the mere words from Eli that God would hear her prayer. Now, I'm reminded of the time when I was pregnant with my first son. I went to the ER with my husband one night because I was experiencing some abdominal pain and discomfort. And when I got there, the doctors on call told me that my blood pressure was way too high and I would have to deliver the baby right away via emergency C-section. And I remember distinctly just not trusting any of them at all. I was only at 37 weeks, I had planned on a natural birth, so who were these people trying to destroy these plans? So I told them I would do nothing until I heard from my own OBGYN. And mind you, it was four in the morning, but they got a hold of her and put her on the phone with me. And as soon as she directly confirmed that this was what needed to happen and that she herself would be in shortly to perform the surgery, I was immediately placated. I'm pretty sure I fell asleep shortly after that call. In the same way, when we take our anxieties and problems to God, we can find our comfort and assurance even before we see a solution or even a guarantee of a solution. Just knowing that God hears our prayers is all we need. Because once we know that our prayers have reached God's ears, we know that whatever happens next would be the very best outcome in God's big picture. And finally, a servant knows who they are serving, right? Hannah dedicated Samuel to God, and Samuel lived in the house of God for years. But up until the moment God called him by name, the Bible tells us that Samuel did not know God. So what that means for us is that we need to know God. Not just of God, but know God personally. 
It's not enough to be in close proximity to houses of worship or to have parents who are diligently devoting themselves to prayer on your behalf. It's a personal choice. And when you know God, you can serve God all the better because you know how to put God first, which is what it means to serve. So what aspect of your servant relationship with God needs work today? Is it humility? Is it obedience? Is it a personal encounter with God? Whatever it is, talk to God about it. Ask God to speak because you, his servant, are listening. And the best part is, you are infinitely more than a servant to God and God is listening to you too. Let's pray. God, how often have we claimed to love and serve you, but dismissed everything the office of a servant entails? Forgive us for our pride, our disobedience and distrust, and our lack of yearning to know you more. Why do we habitually pull ourselves away from you? Why do we do nothing to draw closer to you? You, who are a God who no longer calls us servants, but calls us friends and heirs to your kingdom. Teach us how to serve you with all that is within us, and may it begin with the way we serve those around us. Speak to us, God, for we, your servants, are listening. In Jesus' name, amen.